You ever feel like you're just completely drained, right? Just deflated balloon. Um, I was driving the other day, and um, this is something different. This this may make no sense to you, but when I see the tree companies, right, uh, I think it's called the Splunda or whatever, the German company. You guys know what I'm talking about, the big orange trucks. And they're cutting off big limbs off of oak trees, and they're sticking through the chipper. And I'm thinking, we don't have that in southeast New Mexico, right? Home, we don't have trees. Uh, you don't need that from a mesquite bush. So I just, I think it's, it's one of those things, Brandon. I think it's pretty fascinating to see those guys do that work. And I'm thinking, man, I feel that way in my own life right now. I feel like that wood that's been put through the chipper. Some of you know what I'm talking about, right? Where you get to the other side of whatever it is that you're going through and you're I don't do that enough I don't exhale and rest and just be you know what I'm saying let's pray Father I just praise you for who you are and although I'm moving a lot slower today and um, physically tired and weary. I pray for strength. I ask God that as we open your word that you'll speak very clearly. These won't be my words, but they'll be your words to each and every one of us, especially those of us who need to exhale especially to those of us who need to learn to be quiet and to be still and know that you're God. Teach us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen. Exodus chapter 14. You want to grab a Bible um, and turn to Exodus chapter 14, whether you brought your own, whether you find someone uh, to, to read along with, or maybe it's on your support device. Um, thank God for otter boxes, right, or cell phone covers, right, Brandon? I, I'm always the one who drops my phone, so it's, I'm celebrating with you. Has no screen broke, right? Uh, Exodus chapter 14. For those of you who haven't been here, um, by the way, it's good to see Bonnie back with us. She's been gone for a few weeks. Uh, for those of you visiting with us, make sure we get your information before you leave. We'd love to extend a formal welcome to you in the days to come. This is a time where we have vacations and people are in and people are out, and I look forward to the time where everybody's back, but pray for those that aren't with us for some uh, reason. But I'm glad you're here. I don't think it's coincidence that you're here. It's not coincidence that I'm here. Um, we've been going through a series through the book of Exodus, and some of those themes that we've talked about are the Egyptians. Um, they are the most powerful country in the world at the time. And in a lot of ways, they symbolize what evil is. Uh, Pharaoh himself considers himself a god. Uh, he is an authority, and he wants everyone to know it. Uh, the most powerful man in the world. Uh, it's kind of like, this is way hot. Jake, can you turn this down for me? because I hear echoes everywhere. Thank you. It's kind of like everything that is, 
contrary to God's will, that is the Egyptians. Um, so several years ago, we had what was called the Cold War, right? U.S., Russia, we had the Olympics where, you know, the Russian hockey team were the evil, right? We want, we're going to celebrate every time we beat the Russians, right? Um, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, right? There's, there's, this, there's this power over everybody that we are not, right? And, and, and the Egyptians, in a lot of ways, are kind of like that. Um, we also see the theme of God and his love and deliverance. Is this hot to anybody else? Is this way? Can you turn it down? Just a little bit more? Maybe it's the monitors. I don't know. But it's, yeah. So we also see God's love. We see God's deliverance. And um, those are big themes throughout the book of Exodus as well. As Brendan pointed out, um, the last, the last, uh, of the plagues that we saw last week where God says, I'm going to destroy the firstborn. So, so the themes that we've talked about, right? We've talked about the, the evil in the world. We've talked, about, um, we've talked about God, his love. We've talked about God's deliverance. We saw with uh, the plagues, the last of the plagues is where uh, God tells Moses to tell Pharaoh, the last of the plagues will be the death of the firstborn. And unless you put that blood and we know that as New Testament Christians, the blood of Jesus Christ on the doorpost so that the angel of death will pass over your house. Anybody know what I'm talking about, right? Remember that? And then God, and then God shows how much he loves the Israelite people. He shows how much he loves us. He shows how faithful he is. Um, I think you can experience that the more you reflect on your own life. If you're a believer, you know how God's goodness uh, comes into play. And so I want to read, beginning in verse uh, 21 of, of chapter 13, and listen to what it says. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night, did not depart from before the people. Isn't that amazing to think that God goes before us? The Bible says that God hems us in um, with his protection. Is that good news? That's good news, right? And we still complain. We still complain, do we not? I mean, let's be honest, right? We, we complain. We have things in our life that just don't make sense. We struggle. There's that tension that causes us to wonder if God is really God. I don't think there's anything wrong with doubt. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with wondering. I don't think there's anything wrong with, with the tension. You know what I'm saying? I think when you look through the Psalms, we were talking about this some, uh, a few days ago. I was talking with somebody about this, this tension that goes on, this, this knowing that we live in a broken world and sometimes that, that stuff that's broken in, in me and in those things around me um, and in society in general, um, 
we come to that crisis of faith, we come to this crisis of belief, and we have to decide whether we really believe what we say we believe or don't we. The Bible would say it this way, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, right? Because those things can develop you into the people that you need to be. We don't like it at the time, do we? We don't like, we don't like pain. We don't like struggle. We don't like hanging out in a hospital bed. We don't like all the stuff that the world throws at us. And yet, those crises of belief really causes us to reflect on, are we who we say we are? I think the Israelites should have it figured out by now. I think God has proven to him, uh, to them, to Moses, to Aaron, to all of the Israelites, that he is who he said he is. I think he's tried to do that with Pharaoh, and Pharaoh continues to harden his heart, right? He's got this callous heart, and he will not change. By golly, he will not change. You'll see that here in chapter 14. God gives us opportunities to see his faithfulness. God gives us opportunities to see his love, his deliverance, and yet we still have this carnal nature of wondering why it is that things aren't the way we are want them to be. You hear what I'm saying? So chapter 14 begins this way. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Piharoth between Migdal and the sea in front of Baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, and the Egyptians shall know. Listen, remember what the Egyptians symbolize. This is not just a literal text, right? This is, a, this is also symbolism. We've talked about with Jesus revealing who the greatest sacrifice is, what the greatest sacrifice is. The same thing with the Egyptians here. They symbolize everything contrary to God's will. And it says, and he will get glory and over the Egyptians shall know, it says, that I am Yahweh. And the Israelites did as God commanded. When the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, was told that the people have fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, what is this we have done that we have let Israel go from serving us? It's not a very good business decision, is it? I mean, if you let all your employees go, what are you going to do? You have nobody to work. If you let all your slaves go, who's going to do the menial task? And so Pharaoh has some uh, second thoughts here. So he made ready his chariot, it says, and he took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord, again, it says, the Lord hardened Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out to fight. Can you imagine how stubborn, how, how rebellious I think we're all old enough. I hope this doesn't offend anybody. How stupid Pharaoh is. Right? I mean, we've got plague after plague after plague after plague. Even the death of the firstborn. Even, even the death of the firstborn of every Egyptian. Surely by now, Pharaoh should know who God is. He should know the power he should know not only who God is, but who also the Israelites are, that they're God's people, right? They're God's chosen people. He should know that, and yet he's still callous. He's still got this hardened heart. 
he's still so rebellious that he's going to do, he, remember, he's going to try to prove that he is God. You may not know a pharaoh in your, in your life, in your world, but I know people that are rebellious. You know people that are, right? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we are stubborn. We are. Let me ask you this morning, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I asked Christian a couple of days ago. I said, Christian, we were driving along. I said, Christian, what are you afraid of? He said, what do you mean? They're always trying to analyze my questions. I said, wondering what, my, what I expect as far as answer. I said, I'm not asking for, don't tell me what you think I want to know. Just tell me what you're afraid of. And you know what he said? He said, I'm afraid of snakes. I said, why are you afraid of snakes? Have you ever been bitten by a snake? No, nope, never been bitten by a snake. I said, so why are you afraid of a snake? Well, because I've seen videos. Okay, are you afraid of the video? <laughs> or are you afraid of the you, you get the idea? He says, I'm afraid of snakes, right? So a couple days later go by, and I said, well, we, we had a little conversation after that, but a couple days go by and I asked Caitlin. I said, Caitlin, what are you afraid of? She said, what do you mean? <laughs> this happens all the time around my house, right? What do, what do you mean? What are you looking for? And I said, I'm not looking for anything. Just tell me what you're afraid of. You know what she said? She said, I'm afraid of snakes. I said, why are you afraid of snakes? Now, Christian is nowhere around, right? It's just Christian, it's just Caitlin and I. I said, why are you afraid of snakes? And she said, I don't know. I'm just afraid of snakes. I don't like snakes. I said, you ever been bitten by a snake? No. Why are you afraid of snakes? And she said, well, I saw a snake one time, and I turned and ran. I said, you know you're not supposed to run when you see that rattlesnake, right? You're supposed to slowly move away. But I'm afraid of snakes. I said, what do you... Well, that conversation that I had with Christian went on, and I said, uh, what do you think people are, for people in general, are afraid of? You know what he said? This is from a 15-year-old, just turned 15. And some of you, that may surprise you, because he doesn't have 15 all the time. But he does have mature moments. I said, what do you think people are afraid of? You know what he said? He said, people are afraid of rejection. And we had a conversation about rejection. I said, why do you think people are afraid of rejection? He said, I don't know, but I think everybody's afraid at some point of rejection. I said, I think you're right. So what are you afraid of this morning? Are you afraid of snakes, spiders? Maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe it's rejection. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Some of you, not everything's on our prayer list. You understand that, right? There are some unspoken Prayer request, you know what I'm saying? Some of you are going through trials right now that you're that really make you fearful, that, that really make you struggle. Maybe it's a diagnosis you're afraid of. Maybe it's the what ifs that you're afraid of. You, you've seen videos or you've read WebMD, right? You go. You, the, the last thing you should do, by the way, is Google whatever your symptoms are, because you know what? The first thing that pops up is the worst thing can happen to you, right? You're going to die today. <gasps> right? Maybe it's a diagnosis you're afraid of. Maybe it's your reputation that you're afraid of. What will people think of me if I walk down the aisle? People don't respond to the gospel oftentimes because they're fearful. People don't, um, people don't do what God has called them to do at times because they're afraid of what people might think. They're afraid of their peers. Maybe you're afraid of failure. I'm afraid of failure. 
Maybe you're afraid of sinking. Remember Peter as he gets out of the boat and he begins to walk on the water? Nobody else can walk on water except Jesus, right? This is God in the flesh. He's done it before, and yet this time in the Gospels, we're told, Jesus calls to him from the boat. Peter gets out of the boat, and it's only when he recognizes the storms around him, right? It's only when he recognizes everything. This is not supposed to happen, right? I'm not supposed to be able to walk on water. Only God can walk on water. It's only when he recognizes the impossible that he becomes afraid. Maybe you're afraid of sinking this morning. What are you afraid of? There's a text I ran across this past week in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. I think it's here on the screen. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Do you believe that? Let's read it together. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Did you hear that? There's a little word, three letters, that makes all the difference in the verse. But. You hear that? God gave us a spirit, not of fear, right? So that one side is fear. You can live by fear. You can live by fear of snakes. You can fear, live by fear of diagnosis. You can live by fear of what ifs, right? You're going to go outside and, and, and God forbid this happens. But somebody gets hit by a car. It's a fatal accident. And that's, that's the idea of fear, right? Fear, we talked about this several weeks ago, Hillcrest, right? Fear makes us do irrational things. The reason that Pharaoh has such a hardened heart is because of his fear, right? If I let the Israelites go, what's going to happen? We're going to disintegrate as a nation, right? And the last thing I want for the historians to put in the history books is that I was the Pharaoh that allowed this to happen. Fear will make you do irrational things. Write that down. That's good. Fear will make you do irrational things, right? Fear is not from God. But the other side of the coin is, but he gave us a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. That's the way we should live as believers, right? Especially in the tension, especially in a broken world. We're, we're broken people living in a broken world with broken things all around us, and you have a choice to make of whether you live with fear or you live the other side of the coin. You might remember a text in the Gospel of Luke. It's also in Matthew. It's in the Synoptic Gospels, but it reads this way. You might remember the text as Jesus is dealing with Pharisees, religious people. And after he has this dialogue with religious people, he looks at those closest to him and he says this, I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body. After that, they have nothing more that they can do. Anybody been in the military? I know some of you have been in the military. I, Man, I live by this verse. I didn't, I didn't have it memorized right when I was in the military, but I kept thinking on the eighth mile of a 10-mile run, right? Or we're 80 miles into a rucksack hike. They can't do anything but kill me. And if they kill me, I'm going to heaven. It'll be all right, right? That kind of mentality. Well, listen to what it says. I tell you, my friends, don't fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. 
Verse 5 says this, But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And the only one that can send you away from the presence of God is, what? Is God, right? And he will not do that if you don't choose to be out of the presence of God. You hear the difference, right? If you choose to be in the presence of God, God will allow you to be in his presence. He's come to save the world. That's what the scripture says, right? If you choose your sin, if you choose your rebellion, guess what? He's a righteous God. He's a holy God. He's different than every, any other quote-unquote God, right? And he will send you away from the presence of God, but only if you choose that path. This text here in Exodus chapter 14 is about fear. It says, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pushed the people, or he pursued the people of Israel, while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, overtook them and camped at the sea by Piharoth in front of Baal Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Now remember, they should know who God is by this time, right? Some of you have been a believer. Some of you have been a follower of Jesus Christ for years. You should know who God is by this time, right? You can recognize in your own life how God has been faithful, how much he's loved you, how much he's provided for you, how if, if we as New Testament Christians had the ability to have a cloud by day and fire by night, we, we could recognize God's faithfulness, right? Right? Why don't we? When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes. Behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And they feared greatly. They allowed their carnal nature. They, they noticed the storms, Peter. They, they recognized this is not supposed to happen, and so they feared greatly. We condition ourselves. Listen, we condition ourselves to focus on the here and now rather than who God is. Bigger and greater than anything else that we can focus on. You understand what I'm saying? I, I see the storm because I choose to see the storm. I need to remember that God is bigger than the storm. I'm afraid of snakes because I don't believe that there's anything greater than a snake. Ha, 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 right? God is bigger than a snake. God is greater than a diagnosis. God is greater than any of those things that we've talked about that causes fear. Even the Egyptians. Even the Egyptians. And fear makes you do irrational things. So they say to their leader, they say to Moses, it is because there are, was it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? This is what Brandon read for us, alluded to just a few minutes ago. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? You know how sad it is when you, when you get to a point that you're so focused on going back to bondage? You follow what I'm saying? I mean, Egyptians have been in bondage for 400 years. The greatest day of their life, the, the most 
I can't imagine a bigger celebration when, when God says, okay, it's time to go, and Moses begins to lead them to the promised land. How sad is it when we get so focused on our uncomfortable places, on the tension, that we would choose to go back to bondage? And that's exactly what they're saying to Moses. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. Leave us alone. I know how bad it was. We had to gather our own straw. We had to make bricks. We had to do everything the taskmaster said. And I felt like his thumb was on me more and more each day. That was pretty bad. But even on the way to the promised land, there's going to be some uncomfortable times. Even on the way to where God wants you to be, there's going to be some places of struggle. There's going to be some places of tension. There's going to be some places where you lack faith. You understand? When Jesus reaches down and and grabs Peter as he begins to sink, what does he say? What does he say? Oh, ye of little faith. Right? What's he getting at? If you would only look at me, if you would have focused right here, if you would have looked in my eyes, I'm greater than all this, Peter. But because you were distracted, because you focused on the here and now, because you recognized that you're not supposed to do this, guess what? You began to sink. Check me on that. That's what the text says. And Jesus has to reach down in a, in a compassionate way out of love and say, oh, oh, if only you would have focused on me. Oh, you have little faith. What? Can you imagine what God wants to do through us if we just had that faith to focus on him 24-7, 365, every day of our life? What could God do? Let me tell you what he could do. He could change the world with 12 ordinary individuals. Why couldn't he do something with 50 or 60? Do you believe it? Maybe some of you do. They feared greatly. The people said to Moses, why, why, why? Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. You hear that? Fear not, stand firm, fear not, Wednesday night, church, uh, we have a Bible study right over here. We've been talking about the Gospel of Matthew, and we're getting into the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you're all invited. We start at 7 for the study. We have uh, dinner at 6.30, praying before that. But we're getting into the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday night, and one of the texts in the Sermon on the Mount ha- has to do with worry, Right? How many of you, by worrying, can add an hour to his life? You know what I'm saying? You've read it before. You've heard it before. That's this text right here. Fear. Worry. Struggle. Fear not. Stand firm. How can you not fear? How can you stand firm? Because you know of the salvation of the Lord. You hear that? If you know the salvation of the Lord, you don't have to fear. If you know the salvation of the Lord, you can stand firm. 
If you know who God is, and you know who God is, if you're a follower, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you know that you know that you know, as the little lady said, right? You have faith because you've experienced that faith. It's just that we forget. We're, we're quick to forget, as we talked about last week, right? Those storms keep coming, don't they? And it seems like they get bigger and bigger and bigger. Just one more text before, before we quit this morning. It says, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Notice, that's all you've got to do. Quit, quit, quit being afraid. Quit doubting God. Quit doubting God. Do you, really, do you believe or don't you believe? That's, that's the crisis of belief. For the Egyptians whom you serve today, you shall never see again. Now, here, here, verse 14. Some of you need to highlight this verse. Some of you need to write this down in your notes. Some of you need to write this down in your mind. Some of you need to recite this over and over and over and over again until it becomes the very core of who you are. The Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. Yeah, but, no, 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 no. There's no yeah, buts. The Lord will fight for you, and all you have to do is be silent. That's a little uncomfortable for you, right? Because we live in a noisy world. I found myself a few days ago uh, praying to God, being convicted that my definition of prayer has become talking more than listening, right? And sometimes we just need to stop. We need to stop being fearful. We need to stand firm. We need to listen. And watch God work. It's tough to be silent, church. In the world in which we live, everybody has their advice, right? Everybody wants to give their opinion, right? You want to give your opinion, right? Some of you should have gone to school and got the degree because you all want to be counselors, right? And sometimes the best thing you can do is just... I tell my kids sometimes, enough. You, you've experienced that, right? If you have kids, you have grandkids. Mickey was telling us the other day we were... at grandkids, six and nine, is that right? Five and eight, six and nine, something like that. Mickey said, and I'm not telling you any secrets, I don't think. Mickey said, sometimes we just got to say, okay, enough. Right? I think God's that way with us. Okay, enough. Stop it. Your fear is making you do irrational things. Stop it. Stand firm and watch what God can do. Now, here's the text I promised to you, and then I'm done. Isaiah 41 says this, 
Then I'm going to pray. No, no piano. We're just going to sit in silence. Is that fair? Here's what it says. English Standard Version, Isaiah 41. Listen to me in silence, O coastlands. Let the peoples renew their strength. You ever felt like you need to exile? Be silent. Be still. Let them approach. Then let them speak. Let us together draw near for judgment. Who stirred up one from the east, whom victory meets at every step? He gives up nations before him so that he tramples kings underfoot. He makes them like dust with his sword, like driven stubble with his, bow, with his bow. He pursues them and passes on safely by paths his feet have not trod. Who has performed and done this? You know the answer, right? Who's performed and done this, calling the generation from the beginning? I, the Lord, it says, the first and with the last, I am he. The coastlands have seen and are afraid. The ends of the earth tremble. They have drawn near. They have come. Everyone helps his neighbor and says to his brother, be strong. Everyone's a counselor. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths with the hammer, him who strikes the anvil, saying of the soldering, it is good. And they strengthen it with its nails so it cannot be moved. But you, Israel, listen, you, follower of Jesus, you, believer, even in your crisis of belief, even if your name is on the prayer list or it's not on the prayer list, Whatever tension it is you're experiencing right now, but you, Israel, you follower, you, my servant, Jacob, whom I've chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend, you whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners, saying to you, you are my servant, I've chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not. Stop it. For I am with you. Promise anybody? Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What a great, great promise. Stop it. Fear not. Stand firm and let God do what God does. We'll sing in just a few moments, but for now, I want you just to be still. I want you to be silent. I want you just to reflect on the goodness of God. Reflect on your own life and recognize the faithfulness of God.